Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast, a special edition here. We have special guest Nick Willis, also known as the 19-time sub-4 miler per year. Is that is that your new uh, tagline right now before we get into year 20? What, what, what's your tagline right now when, when you talk about this potential new record you're going to set with breaking four minutes in the mile every single year for two decades? Yeah, it's definitely a tongue twister. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for having me here, man. Um, yeah, I, I'd I'd like to say that I've I've run a sub four for twenty consecutive years. That's my goal. Um, that has a much nicer ring to it than nineteen consecutive years. That's sort of like a a random number, right? So that that's what's kept me motivated after the Tokyo Olympics. Let's be honest. I was sort of for the first six weeks after Tokyo, I wasn't sure if I'd ever get back into serious training again. But as the as the fall came in and I saw that on the horizon that we are entering 2022 soon, that that's what got me to lace it up and eventually put on spikes and do some workouts and things have slowly been coming together. So I'm, I'm thankful to still have carrots to chase. So what exactly is going down on New Year's Eve in New York? Uh, obviously it's, it's not just about you doing a sub four attempt. Can you kind of give us a kind of a rundown of the whole event as the event as a whole and what the purpose of this whole breaking four at midnight and doing it in the armory and raising funds for a good cause. Yeah, obviously the idea of the event stemmed from this idea of me trying to keep my run streak going, but it also we were trying to think outside of the box of how do you, what, what can you leverage? What sort of race can you leverage to turn a track meet into a more fun experience? And so being that I would have to do it at midnight on New Year's to count for the next year meant we could do a New Year's Eve party. Um, and so this has turned into not just a New Year's Eve party, but a New Year's Eve gala where we're trying to raise money for the Tracksmith Foundation. Um, many of your listeners might already know. I'm ho- I'm hoping that you are fully aware that like Russell Dinkins was sort of at the forefront leading the charge at helping fight to reinstate some key track and field programs in the NCAA last year. You got Clemson, Brown, 
University of Minnesota, William and Mary and Clemson at the time um, was the national football champion. So if they have all of the resources and they're still willing to cut track, like we've heard things behind the scenes that there were a lot of other ADs licking their lips at the prospect of, hey, if Clemson can get away with it, we're going to be able to do that as well. There's not a desire to keep track going. And then the NCAA from a lot of these penny pinching ADs. Um, so they want to cut the sports, which have the least sort of like, that creates the less headwind, the least headwind for them. And so Russell really put up his hand and said, I'm going to vouch for this fight. So we got behind him and that's what the Tracksmith Foundation has doubled. We want to double down on those efforts. And we've appointed Russell as our executive director. We want him to go head forth and, um, and be proactive with a lot of this, um, this work that he's doing, but we also want to help with all areas of youth participation in the sport as well. So that's what this gala is for is to, to raise funds for that. And because we're trying to help youth participation, we want to have youth races. We want to have fun for community runners as well. Um, and then we're going to have a bit of fun as well. The elite runners aren't quite ready to hammer on new year's Eve, but we created a fun event where they get to do some elimination miles. Um, did you watch any of the elimination miles that happened in Australia a couple of years ago, Gordon? I did. Yes. I remember watching. They were fun. Uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a very unique event that Australia was trying to pull off. They had Bolt doing the, the mixed gender four by one. It was a fun, fun event to watch. We need yeah, more. That would be cool. Yeah. So what's the plan with the, with the elimination mile? Like, how's it going to play out? What's well, those structure? ones in Aussie were on the outdoor tracks. So every 400 meters, someone got eliminated. It's Another way to, that people know about it is devil takes the hindmost is the, the either idea you get yanked off the track if you're last as you cross the start finish line each lap. But on an indoor track, it's only every 200 meters. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of chaos, but thankfully the armory has the technology to notify us instantaneously the results each lap and say, all right, it's your, t you're, you're out of it, Gordon, you, you were last placed. So then there's only four left. So the idea is that we'll start with a number of athletes and each lap it gets whittled down and whittled down and that hopefully there's only two or three left in the final lap to battle it out. And we've got some 336 to 338 guys already committed for the men's race and some solid women as well in the women's race. So that could be a good way to kick in the new year. Um, but what I'm most excited about it from a runner's standpoint is that there's a massive after party as well. Normally the mile and at, at the Armory and the Moores Games is the last race of the event. So you finish your race, you're collapsed on the ground for seven or eight minutes. You go do a little cool down. Then you sort of wake up from that blur and the stadium's empty. Everyone's gone home and you're like, I want to go have fun now, but I can't. The party's over. Um, so now I actually get to celebrate with people for a couple of hours afterwards and ring in the new year. So yeah, the, the idea is that this is a New Year's Eve gala, a party, but it also happens to have some, some track events in the background. So that's what we're looking forward to. When you look at this uh, potential 20 year streak that you you might be able to, I think you're going to achieve it, that ideally you achieve no, it's, it's, on it's midnight. Not gonna, it's not a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. Don't worry. Well, how, how confident are you right now? Do you feel like this is gonna be a very hard 359 or are you like, what type of shape do you think you're in right now? Yeah, I, if I were to guess what I would run, I think I'll run 359, but I'll have to go completely everything. It's like lifetime PR effort to get to that. Um, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have guessed 359 to 401. Um, I'm 
I got a little bit of a cold, so I, I couldn't do my workout today, but Hobbs and Mason, Hobbs Kessler, the high school record holder, Mason Furlick, Olympian in the steeple, they did a workout today with a lot, like a tempo run, a couple of shorter intervals, and then they closed in a mile and they ran a four flat mile to finish it. And I know that I've been matching them, if not beating them in a couple of workouts. So that's giving me confidence that I got to like vicariously, like know my fitness based on what they just did. Um, so that's giving me a little bit more confidence, but your first race of the season never goes exactly how you hope. Like it's, it's gonna hurt. And, but I think that's what makes it more exciting for the fans. Like we're going to have a live stream. Steve Cram's going to be commentating is that it's not a guarantee. Like it's going to come down to the very wire and I'm going to have to dig, dig really, really deep to have a chance. Um, so yeah, it's, it should be a, it should be a challenging, but, but exciting time. I was looking back at the past 19 sub fours, obviously you did more than one sub four many of these years, but the last 19 years, was there any uh, specific year where you felt like that you're, you're lucky to have a sub four that year? Was, is there any specific season that was like, oh, who would have thought that that could have been the one that would have broke the streak? Yeah, I reflected back and realized that a couple of years, I only had one the whole year and one of them was actually my final track race of the season. Um, it was the Long Island Mile and, and that Kyle Merber was putting on on Long Island. I was about to say New York City. And it was pouring with rain and it was a sort of a tribute race to David Torrance who had just, um, we had just lost him a couple of days earlier. And that's part of the reason why I went out there and to honor David and to do a race on that Kyle was organizing. and. Had I not done that race and closed my season off, I would have never had a sub four that year. And that was the final year that I had sort of gone about my career without knowing that the streak existed. So that was after that point on, I always made sure that I, I put it into my calendar and made sure I, I had a good couple of cracks at it. Do you look at any of your, uh, I was like, you ran like 401 or 402 a couple of times before you broke four for the first time, your first few years before because streak started in 2003 right yeah in february yeah, 2003 so, the mayo invitational so do you look back at any of those uh 2002 races or 2001 races where you're running 401 402 because you had some fast 1500s those two seasons is there any like a little bit of like oh this could have been a, a 22 year streak or a 21 year streak i okay. know uh, I don't really care about it too much in that standpoint. I'm more looking at it to see, is it possible for Hobbs to beat my streak in 20 years time, right? Cause he started younger. He was only 17 when he first broke it. I was 19 when I first did it. Um, but yeah, I always thought that 401 that I ran in high school was like, I got every single ounce out of myself. Um, I didn't think it was possible, but now looking back at what the current generation know about training that I was still relatively naive maybe not in a bad way um that there potentially was room for improvement by a couple of seconds if i'd understood like threshold training and aerobic capacity all that sort of boring um scientific sort of stuff assigned to running but back then we just used to run 200s on a wednesday and 300s on a monday and then whatever you got after that um but no i i actually really struggled my first year out of high school so a sub four wasn't possible my first year out i what Part of what made me such a fast distance runner so i was a distance runner like most people on this call um 
but I was a guy who had a lot of speed and I never realized that most of that speed came from the hour lunch breaks we had at school every day. So we'd either be playing touch rugby or tackle rugby or pick up basketball every single lunchtime. So I was doing speed work, like really high, like fast twitch activation stuff every single day, five days a week. Um, and in my first year out of school, I was just doing my running and nothing else. And so suddenly I became slow. I couldn't break 53 seconds for the 400 my first year out of school, whereas I was a 50 flat guy in high school. And so I had to relearn how to incorporate speed training actually into my running because before it just happened just by, by luck with how my lifestyle was. I was looking at uh, basically where the sport was in 2003 to where it is now in 2021. 55 people in the world broke four in 2003. 2021, 145 people. So almost a, it almost uh, tripled. From 55 to 145. Um, what do you think is the reason for that? And back in when you were breaking four in the early, the late 2000s, did you ever imagine that, you know, we could see three kids from the same high school break four potentially in 2022, the Newberry Park kids? Like, what is happening that breaking four doesn't seem like the elite of the elite mark anymore? And now younger people, more people, a lot of freshmen in college can do it. What do you think is the reason for the, the change over the past 20 years? I mean, first of all, it's, a, it's just cool to know that the mile is still super popular. There was a fear for a while that everything was going to go metric. And so this is counter to that, obviously. I think the biggest reason for a huge improvement over all events, especially middle distances, um, in the last seven to 10 years is because of the knowledge that has been spread by you guys at FlowTrack, by all of the other media outlets online. When I was first serious about my running and as a junior in high school, none of that information was available. Like all you had was what your coach prescribed and you had to like trust what they had was, was all they knew. And when I came to college at Michigan, when we would get into races, we would get to 1200 meters to go. Sorry, it would be 1200 meters into the race at the bell suddenly we would be able to kick away and no one would be able to follow us until we raced against the Stanford guys who were coached by Vin Lanana or against the Wisconsin guys who were coached by Jerry Schumacher. There were very few coaches who truly understood how to like train as a distance runner, but also train as a sprinter and find the perfect marriage. Um, people knew how to do cross country or the 800. They didn't know how to train for the 3K and the mile. Um, but as all of the athletes from those great coaches, there's a handful of others as well, John McDonald. But as let's say there were seven really good coach, coaches who actually knew, knew what to do, all of their athletes ended up becoming coaches. And then that knowledge got spread along on the internet and every single high school coach basically now knows how to coach a, a runner if they have the talent and they're stable. And obviously you have like access to better tracks now with BU being like a, a favorite place for people to go for sub four. Um, and then the new shoe technology, but that's minuscule relative to the, the training that people are doing now. So much more focuses on threshold training rather than just hard intervals or just super high mileage. Um, it's, it's more about just staying in that zone, building up your aerobic capacity as much as possible, and then finding the right balance with speed and power to mix that in as well. You know what it takes to break four and the, the amount of training and the, the talent needed to to be at that level. Not everyone can just wake up and break four. But do you think there's going to be a time in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years where 
breaking four is like just a typical 30, like 10th or 20th best high schooler type mark the way it is now for like breaking four, you're like 40th in the NCAA now, right? Now, now it's like in order to be top of the NCAA, you gotta be a sub 355. Like it's just been a big shift. Like do you, do you can see that the shift continues where the list of high schoolers to ever break four starts becoming a list and more just becomes just a big database. I think if indoor tracks were accessible to high schoolers all over the country, then that could be the case. Cause the beauty of an indoor track is if you use the right one, it's not any slower than an outdoor track. If you go to Arkansas or BU, they're as fast as any outdoor track, but then you have zero wind and you can control the uncontrollables. But when you got kids from South Dakota or from the Great Plains of Texas or whatever, now got to just do it at a dual meet by themselves with no pacemakers. I think that's the number one limiting factor for having tons of high schoolers getting the times. Hobbs, my training partner, was super lucky to have the connections that he did to like, we knew his talent level. Okay, let's utilize it. Let's get him to a meet down Arkansas. He got to drag on some pros. And I think those are more of the limiting factors rather than the talent and the knowledge. But I think there's definitely the capabilities there if all of the stars aligned. Is this a 20th... See, I'm assuming, hopefully you get it. If you don't, I'm sure you'll try it a second time, a week or two weeks later. Um, but is this, is this the final year of you running at an elite level or you want to keep going to 2024 or what, what's your, uh, career timeline arc that you're thinking about right now? Yeah. The honest answer to that is I don't know. Um, I'm taking it season by season as opposed to year by year. So I'm doing an indoor season, right? What I have committed to, though, is um, I want to help Hobbs make the Olympics. I want to help Mason make his next make his second Olympics. So that's three more years that I want to help those guys train at a super elite level. Whether that means I'm doing their full workouts or only doing 200 of every 400 and blocking the wind, I, that's yet to be determined. But um, what I do know is that that's one of my highlights of the week is showing up to practice each day. And like, we have such a fun time. Like we're joking around the whole time, making fun of each other, going to the barn is the place that we call it. Um, it's a private, um, gym that we have that has a basketball hoop and a table tennis table and some weights and stuff. Like we go there and it's like, there's no place we'd rather be. It's just a guys hang out. Um, so if I didn't keep running at a high level, I'd get really lonely cause that's my social outlet, um, several times a week. So. Yeah, I'm going to keep training at a high level, but whether I keep racing, I'll just let the seasons determine that. At the moment, I don't really have much of a competitive spirit anymore. I don't really care about beating people, but this race is more about keeping my own. It's a personal challenge rather than a competitive nature. Do you see yourself ever getting to a point where you're going to like declare this is my last race? Like before when I when I traveled <laughs> for my first work trip after the Olympics, like it was a work trip. It wasn't a training camp. I realized, oh man, I've got to update my doping whereabouts and I'm on like a work trip. Right. And like, you normally have to like allocate an hour a day that where you're going to be, but like when you're on a running trip, you're always going to be hanging around your apartment or hotel. When you're on a work trip, you're working like the whole time that you're awake as you're in your weight. And so like, that was a real wake up call. I was like, do I really have to do this anymore? Like I'm 38. I'm not really taking running that seriously. Um, so I, I emailed 
um the people at WADA and ask them what the process is and they said like unless you officially declare retirement like you're going to have to keep updating this and definitely while you're competing at a national level um and so i if i do retire you're not allowed to compete in any national level events um for at least six and then when you like reapply you have to wait six months after that so i'm not ready to go through that process so i don't know if i ever will be so it's a matter of whether they want to still keep spending money on sending people to my house um to keep a tab on me interesting it's uh i didn't know so that makes sense because once you tell them you can you can stop coming to my house then like all right well you'll stop going you, you have to stop going to the track for yeah. six months yeah and it never once bothered me doing it It was part of the job right but now that running's yeah, not yeah. a job anymore it was like so much more of a burden it's so much easier to forget that sort of stuff so maybe if i ever get to like too many missed tests before the risk then maybe that would be like a forced retirement <laughs> Would that, but then you couldn't, you couldn't be a rabbit then, right? Would you be allowed to go to the Swarthmore track and rabbit another NCA 1500 meter record or something like that? Hey, that's a good idea. I forgot about Swarthmore. I missed that track. Yeah, no, I don't have any plans on retiring. That's basically, it'd be fun when I'm a master to show up to the New Zealand track champs once everything dies down with COVID and like still race against the young kids. There's a, I raced at a really small meet in Grand Valley State University. Well, small from my perspective, there were like maybe 2000 athletes. I entered the C 800 just as a chance to like turn the legs over. And I, I won the race in 154.8, but like, it was so much fun. Like knowing that I was on the start line and every single one of those guys in the race was half my age or more. Like they were like 17, 18 and nine, 19 year olds. And that was really cool. Like after the race, they were like wanting to get photos and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing races like that more often where it's not so much worried about the result, but just having fun on a lower level of the sport again. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, we were at like a low-key meet in George Mason and Alan Webb just showed up in like a random 800. And my, one of my teammates was in that heat and he was like looking up. Not He wasn't looking, he was taller than him, but yeah, yeah. he was like, holy crap, like I'm racing Alan Webb. I wasn't prepared for this. So... You're, you you can be like the the Tony Hawk, you know. He kind of shows up to random environments and like just be, or or you like disguise yourself as like an old man and then run in races and like you reveal I'm Nick Willis, do like a viral prank type thing. Uh, that people only know me now because I'm Hobbs Kessler's training partner. If he wasn't around, no one would know who I was. No, you're 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 a different generation for them though. You're not a part of their yeah. their their world. I do have a question for you. This is probably the most important question. Would you accept Ben Simmons and a first uh, for Jeremy Grant and a first round pick? We would have to give up a first round pick to get Ben Simmons. Yeah, and Jeremy. No, Grant. I wouldn't. You're, you're you're from Pennsylvania, I guess. That's why you're asking me this. So yes, for yes, those yes. listening, I'm I'm a big Detroit Pistons lackey and Jeremy Grant's on the trading block. Um, no, I I don't want to ever give up a first round pick. Um, that's your chance to have a game changer. Would you Would you want Ben Simmons on your team? Yeah, it's always fascinating. <laughs> it's always fascinating seeing new players come onto a team. Uh, what have Have you ever thought about? So I always like, because I'm a huge, obviously, track fan, cover the sport, but 
my favorite passion is basketball. I love the Sixers. Do you think there's a, there are secretly NBA players out there in the world, whether current or recently retired or from like the 90s, who could have broken four in a mile if they were given like six months to train or a year to train? I mean, maybe not six months or maybe not even a year, but I think there are people that no one even knows exists. Like from a running standpoint, they might just be everyday laymen that could have been a world level. Mo Farah is a twin, right? Has anyone ever seen his twin run? If you saw him on the street, you'd never know, but Mo Farah's got multiple Olympic gold medals. There are people who used to be NCAA champions that even in their mid-30s, they might be 70 pounds different and that's not fat that put on tons of muscle no one would ever know ryan hall was a yeah. <laughs> super high level marathoner right like our environment and our choices dictate how we want to shape our bodies a lot of the time and so you might think oh that person could nick, nick simmons you would have never guessed like looking at his running form that he's someone that could have been a 142 800 talent but if people apply themselves that's the only way to really find out whether they really have that in them but yeah, yeah, I, I think Alan Iverson. Sorry. Iverson, no, Iverson no, no, no. is the person that is probably the guy that could have done anything in any sport if he had really applied himself to it. He could have been a quarterback. He could have been a runner. He could have been whatever. Just super talent. Yeah. You think Cade Cunningham could uh, break two in the 800? No, Cade gets tired after three minutes on the court. That's my biggest concern about him. I'm trying to figure out ways to like, I do have contacts in the organization, but I'm trying to think the appropriate way to like, what I would like to be able to teach the NBA players is that they could incorporate altitude training as a preseason sort of approach. Like rather than hanging out in LA in the summer, maybe going up to Flagstaff or Mammoth and actually do some altitude training and then they don't have to do it. I would, the way I'd pitch it is like, you don't have to do as much work. You can like let your body rest and let the altitude do the work for you, right? And you could just spend time in the gym shooting or lifting weights. But you don't have to like do a ton of cardio because that will just be solved for you. Yeah, we in the, the running world know the benefits of altitude. You have to think that the Denver Broncos, the Denver Nuggets, th these teams definitely have an advantage because they're training at altitude year round. And it's the layman person has no idea what altitude does for you, but I'm sure all Denver sports teams know that like they kind of have a little bit of a home field advantage. There, were, there was a game down in Mexico City the other year. I think the Pistons played the Dallas Mavericks. And I thought there's no way that um, these guys are going to be able to like play the same number of minutes or score the same number of points. But it was actually sort of surprising that it didn't really impact a lot of those averages. But yeah, I'd be really curious to see. I mean, Utah Jazz is, what, 4,500 feet down in Salt Lake City, and Denver's only 53, so it's not like it's super high like it's not jerry high it's not getting up the eight or nine thousand feet like schumacher yeah. <laughs> wants um but yeah it, it, it could be a big difference maker but those guys need to recover as well because they're playing such a high intensity so frequently so maybe there's a disadvantage that they're not getting the recovery between games and practices yeah i i've always said like i always think we obviously we have a system we have the olympics world championships to crown the fastest people in different uh, distances, but I agree with you. There are so many people out in this world that maybe they decide to become an NFL player, soccer player, or even an artist that probably could have been 
in the final with all these people that we see in like the past year, which I think is kind of wild to think about. Yeah, I, I keep going back to like the idea that Mo Farah is a twin, like, and his brother's never been a runner. Like, that could have been Mo. Maybe so you never know. Conspiracy. If you're a high Maybe that's how I get the double. Maybe that's how I got the double. Maybe there are two Mo Farahs and this five ten k double is actually his twin pulling off the double for him. But yeah, if you're a high school coach, like you never know who you have in your squad until you like really give them a chance to to let their light shine. And that might even be totally wrong events as well. I want to leave you with this. There's a, I'm trying to get this to happen. I'm trying to speak it into existence. Um, I follow the high school scene. I'm sure you follow a little bit of it. You see what the Newberry Park kids are doing, all breaking 1410 in a cross country course. You have experience at, you've, have you run up Penn Relays with the Michigan team? Yep. Were you ever, yeah. Do you think, that Newberry Park team could compete, not win, but be competitive in a four by mile at Penn Relays against college teams in this season, in 2022. Any team with half decent runners can be competitive in the relays because no one wants to be the one leading it. It's never perfect weather. There's always a bit of wind. Um, we had some great teams some years, but there were some years we had some terrible runners and we put them on the anchor. And I remember we had one guy leading Leo Manzano out and people were like, oh, who's this guy from Michigan? Like, he looks beautiful. And Manzano blew his doors off the last 200 meters. But yeah, I, I do think that they would be in the mix. The, the biggest challenge for teams ever breaking 16 is that who's going to be the sacrificial rabbit out in front. And the reason why Oregon was able to set that record, and I have a bit of a pet peeve against this, is that they had OTC acting as rabbits for the first two legs to like, help keep that going um so it wasn't in that sort of pen relays environment you can't put a high school team in a college race though like set up a separate race and like compete for it but it's the pen relays has set it's the college championship at sort of america like you you can't rob a college team from a chance to win the watch just because some school out in california wants to come and race in it right they they can win the high school race for america well there's no there's no four by mile for a high school there's only well, the they, until they get into college like pen relays is what's so great about pen relays is tradition yeah but hold on there's so many times where we see non-college athletes race in college races all the time peyton jordan we see it we see it milrose we see pros and college kids we see high school kids in pro races we see hobbs a high school kid running yeah, against pros like pen, pen relays is like the nca championship to us as a Michigan athlete, we viewed pen relays as equally as important as the NCAA championships because you're winning the relay championship. To win that is like the equivalent of winning the relay championships for the year. And so it takes away that element to it if you bring a high school team into it. I, 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 don't, I think people want to see it, though. What's one year? How often do you have a high school team? You that can. Is you can if you think if you want to take away the value of Yeah. I can see that argument, but if it robs a spot for another team to be in the race. Well, no, there's enough spots. It's not like there's a, it's not a leaned race. They could be figure out a way to get the extra team. I mean, w would you rather watch them in that race or would you rather watch them in a separate race where they're the only ones by themselves just trying to break a high school record? I, they would the run faster. 
they would run faster if they were by themselves potentially because then they're not worried about tactics we would have run faster if we didn't have other teams in the race because we would have just gone as fast as we could but we didn't want our first runner didn't want people to be sitting on him right this sounds like you just don't want newberry park to go after michigan's <laughs> pen relays record is that what it is i see you've, you've discovered my my secret ill motive <laughs> no i hadn't even thought about that well nick thanks so much for taking the time uh any what last minute thoughts or what's kind of going through your head as you just get ready for this big night on new year's eve and kind of tell people if i guess people can buy tickets and show up or like how's the work for people who aren't in the race to to view it or be there in person yeah if you're on the east coast and you want to come and have a new year's eve party come on down to the armory new balance track and field center at the armory on new year's eve i think doors open at seven we can um buy tickets online through the tracksmith.com website but we're also going to have a live stream and it, it's it's going to be a fundraising event so we've got um steve crams on the on the box calling the race and we're going to have a lot of fun things happening throughout the night as well um so yeah try and really support this event if you care about saving college track helping promote um youth sport youth track and youth participation in track and field as there's a better way to say it um but ultimately Let's have a good time to kick off the new year and make track a focus um, as we start 2022. And what's your what's your official time prediction for yourself to the hundred to the hundredth? What's the put it on paper? What are you gonna run? 359.72. 359.72. All right. Make it happen. If you run actually 359.72, that that would be that would be more impressive than just breaking four just predicting your own. I time. do that. Can I get a free flow track subscription? <laughs> Of course lifetime subscription lifetime okay if you run 359 okay. 72 exactly have you ever tried to accurately run a split to like the hundredth ever like like i'm gonna run this and, all the way to and be 100 right in high school because all we ever did because it was like 40 mile an hour wins or 30 mile an hour wins most days we'd only run 300s or 200s on a tailwind so monday would be eight threes wednesday would be 10 twos and we were so bored always doing the same thing we so we'd have competitions who could get closer to their assigned split because we're all different abilities um and then the winner at the end of the day got a dollar from the coach so yeah we, we used to do go. that in training um is that an nca violation you know paying athletes or you may should go back and uh... i'm sure i broke thousands of nca rules when i was in high school <laughs> and college yeah don't we all well, uh, Nick, thanks again. Best of luck with training. Um, what's the, uh, what's going to be the, the last workout you do before the, the, the big race? Uh, I normally like to do a two mile tempo, just controlled and then four, three hundreds on a hundred rest at 60 second pace of so 45s and then four, two hundreds and like 27, 28 on a 200 rest. So it's a good way to wake the body up, but not get me too tired. Cool. So well, best that, of luck and uh <laughs> here's to 359.72 in year 20. that's what you're gonna do appreciate it thanks nick. gordon take care mate happy thanks. new year you too take care